I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 2. We, uh, TJ and I swapped weeks uh, last week when I was out sick, so we are going back to cover the verses we skipped over. And next week, we will resume in chapter 3. Uh, but today, we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, to consider what it means to have joyful lives in a broken world. This is God's Word. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray that God would teach us. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and ask that you would open up your word to us and that you would send your spirit to apply it to our hearts and our lives, that we may understand what it means to live joyful lives in this broken, crooked, and twisted world. We need you to do this, O Lord, because we do not have it in ourselves to manufacture it on our own. We need you to do a work. We need you to pour out your joy and wisdom and blessing. And so we plead with you that you would do this, even as you've promised to do in Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. So there was a day and time when if you wanted to get to know your neighbors, you had to sit out on your front porch and talk to them when they walked by your house or have them over to your house or whatnot. But now these days, uh, you know, people create message boards. You know, there's the Facebook group for your neighborhood. There's a whole app called Nextdoor whose tagline is get the most out of your neighborhood You know, so you can connect with these people. And yet the thing is, every time I've joined one of these, I found it to be a place that is rife with the destructive power of grumbling and complaining. Right? There, there's no like, hey, we're having a cookout at my house. Come on over. We'd love to have you and get to know you. It's to the person who mows their grass at 2 p.m. on a Sunday, I'm trying to take a nap and you need to stop it. Now, you know who the person is. You could walk over there and talk to them. But, but no, there, there are these complaints and these grumblings and these just disputings that seem to be unhinged and just growing at an epidemic pace. And it's not just in these message boards, it's everywhere. It's in our politics, it's in our social media, it's in everything. This grumbling and disputing, this complaining. And is it any different in the church? Are are we a place set apart from the world where there is a spirit of joy and thanksgiving and love and compassion? Or are we a place where there is also yet grumbling and complaining and disputing? God's people have grumbled and complained throughout history. But is that the way it ought to be? What has Christ called us to be? What 
spirit and disposition has Christ called and equipped us as his people, his church, to have? What does it look like for us not to be grumblers and complainers, but to be those who live joyful lives, even in the midst of a broken world? Well, we're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to consider uh, what it means to do all things without grumbling, what it means to, to be without blemish in this world, and what it means to hold fast to the word of life. What does it mean to do all things without grumbling? What it means to be without blemish in the midst of this broken world? And what it means to hold fast to the word of life. So first, I want to look, look at verses 14 and 15 and consider what it means when Paul says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Some of your translations say disputing or complaining. It's all the same word. We live in a crooked and twisted world. That description doesn't come as some shock and surprise when Paul calls it a crooked and twisted generation. I feel that on a deep level. But sometimes... As we navigate this world that is broken, that is twisted, that is crooked, as we encounter things that are grievous and unjust, that are hurtful and harmful, we we rail against them. There, there, There is no lack of things. There is no lack of trouble. There is no lack of circumstance or event for us to find fault with, for us to to rail against, for us to to complain and grumble about, but sometimes I don't think we fully appreciate or recognize the deep cost of grumbling and complaining. The Israelites were characterized as grumbling and complaining so often in the Old Testament. And this after God delivered them from 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt with signs and wonders and great power as they walked through the Red Sea with the waters on either side as they saw the armies of the most powerful nation in the world swamped beneath those waves as they were set free to follow and worship God. Yet, constantly... At the first sign of any trouble, they grumbled and complained. It would have been better off for us to die in Egypt than for us to be in the desert without food. And so God gave them bread from heaven. And they got tired of that and they grumbled and complained. All we have is this bread from heaven. We don't have any meat. And so God sent them birds. All we have are these birds and this bread. And all we're doing is wandering. Where's the water? All they did was grumble and complain. Who is this Moses guy? He doesn't know what he's doing. They grumbled against their leadership. They grumbled against their circumstances. They grumbled and they complained. And what they didn't realize all along the way was it wasn't just that they were grumbling against their hunger. It wasn't just that they were grumbling and complaining about their circumstances. It wasn't just that they were even grumbling and complaining against their leaders, Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Ultimately, they were grumbling and complaining against God himself. He's the one who led us here. He's the one who's not providing according to our expectations. He's the one who set these people over us. He is the one. It's his fault. But for the people of God, 
This should not be. It is the the nature, it is is at the, the very essence of a crooked and twisted generation to be hostile to God. They they are not following the the, the straight and narrow path that God has set before them. They are not seeing the world as God has described it and, and revealed it. They are warped and twisted and crooked, and they are hostile to God. And we should not be surprised when the world grumbles and complains and rails against God. Why would he allow this suffering? Why would he do these things? But for the people of God, when we fall into grumbling and complaining and disputing and bitterness, we don't reveal much about God. We reveal that we ourselves have a deep lack of faith, a deep want of joy, a deep vacuum of love in our own hearts and lives and souls. We are not above grumbling and complaining. We are human like the Israelites, like the people that were following Jesus for food, like the Philippians, that Paul is admonishing here. Yet when we grumble and complain, we lose sight of who God is and what He's done for us. And we lose joy. We lose hope. We lose love. How has your grumbling and your complaining and your disputing Stolen your joy and your love, your hope, and your peace. Understand, I'm not talking about discussion and debate. We are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We're to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. There is time for uh Discussion and debate, even constructive criticism. But but this word disputing, this word questioning, this word complaining isn't capturing that, that loving and kind and gracious and compassionate entering into difficult discussion. It's describing this divisive posture of you're not meeting my expectations, church, world, circumstances. God? I think things should be going this way. I think things should be given to me in this manner. And who, God, do you think you are to not do it the way I think is right? When you describe it that way, it doesn't sound too... Palatable, and yet that is the very trap we fall into. What is your posture towards others in the church and in the world? Is it that you want to know them, to hear from them, to listen, to understand? Is it that you want also to be known by them, to share, to to challenge, to, to encourage, to spur on? Or... Do you just want your needs to be known and met? As if everyone is put here for your glory and for your purpose. When we grumble 
and disputes. As believers, we reveal that we have lost sight of who God is, what He's called us to be. But He's called us to be His children. To live in this world without blemish for His glory. Sometimes things just go horribly wrong. We have had death after death after death in our congregation from cancer. And we would not be alone among God's people to cry out to Him, How long? What what is going on? What, What are you doing? Why would these things befall us? There's nothing wrong with crying out to God in the midst of sorrow and grief and tragedy. But it's a fine line between crying out to God and questioning, why would you leave us here? What are you even thinking? Why would you do what you're doing? But Paul tells us he's left us here for a great and incredible reason that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. This isn't a command. You must shine. As His children... As those who've been adopted into his household, as those who have come to be a part of his family by faith through the person and work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, he's left us here because we will shine. We will shine forth with the light of, and the goodness and the glory of who he is and what he's done. And this crooked and twisted generation, this dark and broken world needs to see this. They need to know this God. They need to be brought out of that blindness. They need to be welcomed in to his love and to his family. And they need to know the hope of everlasting life. And he has left us here that the same joy and love and hope that we have come to know in Christ, others too might come to know. And there is a word of great news. This is a gospel proclamation. God has done something, even in leaving us here in this broken and miserable world that is wondrous and astounding. He's left us here as a light. As salt, as ambassadors of his goodness and mercy and grace and glory. Sometimes when we grumble and complain, it's because we've lost sight of, of what we're doing and why we're here. We're not just here for our own comfort. We're not just here for our own edification. We are here for God's purposes and for the good of all those around us. What are you? Are you a very child of the living God? Welcomed into his family and a love that cannot be shaken, that cannot be taken away. You know, you don't 
You don't use a flashlight as a lawnmower. I mean, I guess you could get like one of those really powerful ones and try to burn the tips off of all the blades of grass, but that would not be maybe a productive use of your time, and you might burn your neighborhood down trying. You don't use a, a candle as a winter sweater. These things shine. And we as his children ought to be what we are in Christ. Those who exude, who break forth, who overflow, not with grumbling and bitterness and complaint, but with kindness and gentleness and love and joy and peace. That's who he's made us to be. That's what he's called us to be. He leaves us here in the midst of all of this, not to punish, not to, not to destroy, not to tear down, but to save, to bring hope and light. And so as you go out into this world, what is your family resemblance? When people look at you, when they listen to you, when they watch you, who would they say your father really is? The grumbling that Paul talks about here is not the same as grieving and lament. There's so much for us to grieve. There's so much for us to lament. This world is broken and it needs to be fixed. And God promises he's at work doing just that. There is so much injustice. There is so much wickedness. There is so much sin and rebellion and twistedness. And and it is right that we should grieve. There's a big difference between grieving, lamenting, grumbling and complaining. Jesus grieved. He looked out and saw the sin and the misery, the oppression of illness and sickness and politics and economics that, that, that were pressing down upon these poor people. And he responded out of grief. Not to grumble and complain but to step into that grief with compassion, to bring healing, to bring light, to bring hope, to bring peace. He didn't laugh at death. He wept when his dear friend Lazarus died. He lamented that death was even a thing, but he stepped into those places, not grousing, but with life and light and hope. Do we resemble him when we step out into this broken and twisted world? Do we step into those hard places of injustice, of wickedness, of rebellion, of warped, twisted sin to bring truth and light and life and grace and compassion? Or do we step into those places thinking more so highly of ourselves that we just grumble and complain about everything else? 
What could the church be in our culture? What, what could the church offer? Just in, in our United States, all across the world, but just in our own culture. If we were not party to all this bickering and political infighting, to all this bitterness and Twitter war, to all this cancel culture, but we were a people who exuded and overflowed with joy and hope and grace and compassion and love and truth and light. Speaking justice to injustice, but with love. Stepping in to grief, not to look down our noses at those who suffer, but to lift up the brokenhearted and point them to hope in Christ. What would the church be? How would we shine? This is why God's left us here. This is what he's called us to do and to be. But if you are like me, you feel the impossible weight of this calling to live in Christ, for Christ, in all things, do all things without grumbling and questioning. I mean, can I at least complain that when my football team doesn't win? It's all things. Maybe you feel the impossible weight of this. How, how can I? live in this grievous world so full of sorrow and still bring the joy of Christ to bear. Paul talks about this in in terms of and with the imagery of a sacrificial offering. The, The context of Paul writing this, he's not living the high life. He's imprisoned and he's not sure if he's going to be set free and able to visit the church in Philippi or if he's going to be executed. He doesn't really know. He thinks he knows, but he doesn't really know. But he says, even if I'm to be poured out as a sacrificial offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, even if I'm to die, it's all been worth it because God has used me to bring you light and life and hope to form this church of of his own people in this city, to continue to shine forth with light in that place. And if that is all that I've been called and equipped to do, it was worth it. I can go to the grave knowing that the God who saved you will save me even from death. And so he can rejoice. There in prison, he can rejoice at what God is doing in the church in Philippi. What he has done, what he's going to do. But not just that, he can invite them into his own joy. Even here in prison, I am also rejoicing and I want you to rejoice with me that no matter what may happen, our God is great. And there is no sacrifice too big. There's no calling unworthy. Wherever he leads, it's worth it to follow. Let's go. And the way we do that, the way he talks about, the way that works itself out in our lives, the way we become what we have been declared to be as God's children, that we hold fast to the word of life. 
It's such an amazing phrase there. Uh, you, would, you would think that he would have this list of like, and so next, you need to gather together and form a political action committee. And then maybe store up some weapons in your basement, because you never know, things might go weird. And then you need to make a bunch of signs. You know, get, Buy the sticker letters so it looks like you're literate. Don't try to write it out. Like, you do something nice and then go protest. Now, I'm not saying anything's wrong with protesting. But he doesn't give us a long list of things to do. Hold fast. That, that, that's a description of faith. Believe the word of life. The gospel. The, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the word, who has given us his word as, as, as a sure rule for faith and practice to tell us what it is we need to know, where it is we need to go. doesn't tell us everything. It tells us everything we need. Hold fast to that. Keep coming back to that. When you look out at the world and it's overwhelming, come back. Who has God said that he is? What has he said that he has done? Who has he declared you to be? Hold fast to that and step back into those places, not with grumbling and complaining, but with the joy of knowing that you are the children of God. Because Paul knows and you hold fast to that word of life. When Christ appears, it won't be a surprise. I mean, in the moment, maybe. But like, it'll be the fulfillment of your heart's longing. It won't be a disappointment. You'll know that you haven't labored in vain. You haven't worked. Nothing you've done for the name of Christ, for the sake of Christ, will have been in vain. To follow where he leads to receive his declarations, to to know him and to be known by him, to live in him and for him, it's all worth it. There is a joy in that, that this crooked and twisted generation cannot take away. What what is, is, is the reason you're here? What is your purpose? What is your chief end? What is your life about? What does it mean for you to glorify and enjoy God forever, starting right now? Philippians calls us to a joy that isn't this happy, 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 all the time, time, time sort of joy. It calls us to a joy that works itself out in the midst of suffering and hardship and trial and tribulation. And what Paul is saying here is is this, what if that joyful path, what if that, that way of life and a light and peace, what if it looks not like ease and comfort? What if it looks a lot like a sacrificial offering? What if that's where Christ is leading? What if that's the only place to be with him is in those places 
where He is working miracles. You would have a joyful life in the midst of a broken world. You're going to have to wrestle with that question. What if glorifying and enjoying God in this place looks a lot like a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, an offering to God who has made us his beloved children? May God equip us to live in that way. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us, we pray. To know your joy. To know who we are in you. And to to find such confidence and life and delight in that, Lord, that, that when hardship and trial and tribulation comes our way, our response is not one of bitterness or complaint, but of humble seeking. Oh, Lord, what would you have us do? What would you have us be? Where would you have us go that we might shine forth as your children and bring hope and light and life to those around us. That's a high and holy calling, Lord, and we cannot do that on our own. Send your Spirit to strengthen us, to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, to give us courage to follow you wherever you lead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.